Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Paula Oleska. Paula is the founder of Brain Upgrade System. She has gone through the challenges of building a successful business. Her mission is to empower women to do the same. She has discovered shortcuts to eliminating struggle and achieving results by reprogramming the brain. Paula's passion is to share this with women entrepreneurs and to make success easier and more enjoyable. Her program um, uses one-on-one work and um, I think she uses her program and one-on-one work to accelerate your success. Welcome to the program, Paula. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you so much. Love being your guest. Thank you. Yeah, I was kind of stumbling over some of that. So why don't we start out by you telling us a little bit about you, where you started out, and about this brain upgrade. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm not where I thought I was going to be. Uh, And uh, I call myself an accidental businesswoman. Woman. So uh, when I was growing up in Warsaw, Poland, I... I still had a passion for languages. I loved languages. And I was studying, uh, when I went to college or university, I was studying English and I was planning to be a translator uh, and uh, also teacher of English as a second language. Um, However, uh, I follow my passions. So at some point I saw uh, a visiting company from London that was doing modern dance. I had no idea what modern dance was. I loved dancing and I was, when I was a child, I was taking some ballet lessons and I knew that ballet wasn't it, but I didn't know what I wanted to do as far as dance. So I saw this company and uh, my whole body said, we should be doing this, but they were in London and I was in Poland. Poland was a communist country. There were there was uh, there were severe travel restrictions, mm-hmm. and um, and also I was like so awed by them. And I felt like, oh, this they are so far above me. How can I even aspire to do anything? But a friend of mine convinced me I should write to them. So to make a long story short, I found my way to go there. I auditioned for their program. And I was accepted. So then I had to struggle with myself because I didn't tell anybody I was going to do that. So my family had no clue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote to them that I was going to stay in London to study dance. And they like freaked out <laughs> because not only because I was going to be in a foreign country, but because dance, who does dance? You know, this is so <laughs> for other people, not for intellectuals, which was my family expected me to to just like a lot of people in that environment, you know, expect me to be an intellectual. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I stayed in London and uh, trained uh, in the school uh, and I became absolutely in love with, this is the particular form of modern dance uh, created by Martha Graham. It's a very visceral, powerful, expressive style and it's still mm-hmm. in my body. So I remember a few years ago, I was at a party just, doing some freeform dancing and a woman came up and said like, did you study Graham? Because it's, it looks like you're doing Graham. <laughs> I guess it was so ingrained in my body that uh, it's still there no matter, you know, when I move the freestyle, it still comes out. So um, again, to make uh, a long story short, uh, 
after the London school said, there is a lot more dance going on in the States. Why don't you go to the States? Well, that was another impossible thing. It was impossible in, ma in many ways. Uh, one of them is that immigration policy is not to accept young uh, single people, not to admit young single people to the country. Uh, so that was one of the obstacles. There were other obstacles as well, but I'm very stubborn and I, I wanted to go there. So I found a way to eventually come to New York and I went to the Graham School in New York. Um, and that's what I thought. At that time, I thought I was going to be a dancer and I was going to study dance and then bring it to Poland and start my dance school. But um, life is full of twists and turns. So in the meantime, uh, I uh, came across these mind-body, I was exploring different mind-body techniques and all the new agey things that were around, starting to be around at that time. Mm -hmm. So uh, mind-body things, positive thinking, meditation, affirmation, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, this is so great. You know, it's so wonderful. And, uh, uh, and uh, there was a particular uh, mind-body system that caught my attention that actually had to do more with body than mind. Uh, it's called muscle balancing. And uh, it, it's like an absolutely miraculous technique when you uh, can manipulate some what I call switches on the body and immediately make your muscles stronger. It's uh, fantastic. So I was so awed uh, by that uh, because I didn't know anything about anatomy and I really didn't know much about the body other than what I've learned uh, through being a dancer. But I was able to uh, fix people's pain. I was able to help people recover from injuries and it was like, wow. So. I didn't know that, but I was starting to have a private practice. I didn't realize that that's what it was because I was just helping people with different things. Mm -hmm. And then um, out of that system, uh, someone who was a, a brain and education expert developed another system, which is now called Brain Gym. And uh, so when I, uh, when I came across Brain Gym, which was already in the field that I was in, uh, I was completely flabbergasted. It was like the best thing that happened. And I remember <clears throat> in my first brain gym class, really looking at the, just at that time we just worked with right and left brain and I was standing looking at the chart of brain functions and was thinking like, wow, this explains everything. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, what that explained, uh, and I'll get into that a little bit later, is that uh, thinking is controlled by the left brain and feeling is controlled by the right brain. So you can think and talk about your feelings. It doesn't affect your feelings. You still feel what you feel. And if you have traumatized feelings, they don't go away just because you figure things out. So I thought I had figured things out. I thought I had all my past traumas handled because I could talk about them. And then I realized that that made no difference whatsoever because my right brain didn't get it. So, um, so I was enamored of uh, Brain Gym and I stayed with Brain Gym for many years. I became a faculty member and trained people in the US and in Poland. And, uh, uh, and then 
by studying other things that had to do with neuroscience and the body and movement and other things, and especially with emotions, I developed my own system, which is focused on behavioral and emotional change. And I'm because I realized that I was in private practice after about 15 years of doing that, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, it's not a job. What is it? Oh, I think I have a business. What is it? <laughs> uh, I had to learn entrepreneurship and then I fell in love with that. So now I have this dual passion. I love teaching people about the brain and I love uh, helping entrepreneurs, especially women, become more successful because I've made all the mistakes that uh, entrepreneurs make so I can <laughs> guide them to be successful in an easier way. Well, I call that balance. You're talking about balance. <laughs> you got the teaching, you got the, you know, you were a student, then you were teaching, then now you're an entrepreneur and now you're mentoring back again. So that's a very balanced life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it became, became more balanced uh, as I went along and now it's definitely pretty balanced. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times people have like a morning something they do or morning practice. You talked about some different things that you kind of studied. Is there certain things that you do each day to get yourself ready for the day? Yes, I love, uh, I think that uh, exercise and movement are absolutely crucial. Mm -hmm. So even when I'm really busy, I always squeeze in at least uh, 15 or 20 minutes of stretching and different exercises that uh, make my body uh, be in somewhat in shape. And I do at least three or four of the brain organizing activities as well to make sure that I can be focused and uh, you know, relatively calm. And if I stop being calm or focused, I do them again later in the day. <laughs> I've had to do that recently. <laughs> <laughs> right, haven't we all? It's just yes. sometimes really unnerving. <laughs> to recenter at lunch. I'm still seeing patients every day. So yeah, <laughs> recenter at lunch. So um, so tell me more about this system that you developed. Like um, who, who would benefit from it? Why would they come to see you? What kind of issues are they having or goals do they have? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned goals because essentially that's what what it is. In my uh, individual sessions, mm -hmm. we focus on goals. So we start by defining the outcome that the person wants to have, but we don't go about it in the usual coaching way. Typical coaching is really based on discussion, analyzing what works, what doesn't work, creating a logical plan. And one of the reasons why that doesn't often work for people is because is the same uh, thing I mentioned, you know, a little bit earlier, which is that that's all the domain of the left brain. Left brain loves talking, analyzing, figuring things out and planning and schedule. So uh, when people work with uh, coaches, very often it's like, you need to do this in order to achieve this goal. You need to do this and you need to do that. And then you need to do the third thing and then you're going to get your goal. And then most people, you know, if they start with the first step, that's good. And they usually get stuck between second and third step and can move forward. Mm -hmm. So then they hear you're resisting, you are sabotaging your progress, what's wrong with you. And uh, so my message to people like that is like, it's not your fault. 
this is a left brain process. And when you're under stress, your left and right brain don't talk to each other. So you need to do something that will organize your brain to be coherent and so that your thoughts and feeling as well as action will be all on the same page. So that's what I do in my practice. So instead of setting out the plan and logical progression of going from A to Z, we do some exercises in the sessions that uh, make people progress uh, sometimes fast, sometimes a little bit more slowly, but it's still a very rapid process where people get results uh, very quickly because with each exercise people do, they always feel a difference. So essentially that's how I work in my individual sessions. And I also have group programs where we do exercises that uh, without going into all that detail, there are certain exercises that are good for everybody across the board and we do them, do them in some of my group programs. Okay. So are these actual phys physical movements you're doing or is it physical movements along with um, affirmations or what would be an example of something you would do with someone? So actually, you know, affirmations, I, I give a lot of thought to affirmations and what are they and why they work or don't work. So if you use affirmations just with words, they don't work because, right? You, right. would you agree? <laughs> <laughs> I found that, yes. Right, I, my friends are still laughing at me because when I was in my affirmation phase, I had post-its all over my house that I'm, I'm going to be a millionaire by, you know, X date, you know, and that was many years ago. I'm still not a millionaire uh, because uh, as I found out later, you know, it's not enough to do affirmations. You really have to know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to know how to run a business. Yeah. And I didn't know that at that time. Um, so that one, that's one of the reasons affirmations don't work. But another one is because they are using words and words are in your left brain. The left brain doesn't have connection with the body and emotions. So you can just repeat words and the body and emotions, they, don't, they do not respond to words. So they are essentially not hearing that message. However, um, when I work with my individual clients, we identify specific emotional issues that they need to resolve. And then once we resolve that issue, that becomes an affirmation that actually has support of the whole my body system. So we do, we use, um, oftentimes we use uh, meridian points to achieve that. Sometimes we use meridians and eye movements. Sometimes we use other activities, but then those resolved emotional issues become um become uh the the you know like a healthy affirmation so for instance i was working excuse me um so um like just today i was working with someone and the issue was uh to no longer enable bad behavior uh, she had some experience in the past with people who were alcoholics and uh she was she didn't feel she was in a position to address that mm -hmm. um so we did different processes to transform that and um she uh once she transformed that she came up with a new sentence that was uh i playfully explore ways in which my needs are going to be met mm -hmm. so instead of um not knowing what to do with this uh dysfunctional behavior uh, or feeling angry or 
uh, helpless or fearful, she now has a new way of doing that. So that could become, if she chooses to use that as an affirmation by repeating it, that will be uh, a very healthy affirmation that will allow her to actually deepen the uh, transformation of that particular aspect of her behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you, you being a natural dancer, you, you could feel in your body, you know, everything. I mean, you had that physical feeling when you even saw someone dancing, but I bet you have clients who come in and they don't feel, you know, they come in and they're just so blocked up or they're so in their intellectual minds. So how do you work with someone like that? That's a great question because it is, I agree, it's a very common thing. Um, so we call that people beating in their head or not being embodied. Mm -hmm. So uh, essentially, as long as they are willing to work with me, they will, um, uh, they will go through several activities. One is I usually ask people, how do you feel? And if they say, I don't know, or I don't feel anything, uh, I would guide them into doing like a body scan and how do you feel right now? And then after we do some activities, I'll ask them again. So is there any change? What do you feel? And little by little, they learn to observe that there are some changes in the energy. So I feel maybe a little bit more energetic. I feel a little bit sleepy. So they start being able to identify those states. And then because we do these, uh, physical and emotional activities that engages their body and they learned just by doing the process, they learned to be more perceptive. And uh, when I um, uh, teach one of the, my uh, group classes, there's a specific process uh, for developing body awareness and emotional awareness where people learn how to identify much more precisely different states. And I find that it's absolutely necessary because uh, I feel that if you can observe the change of your energy in, uh, let's say, in a, in a particular situation, let's say that someone has a friend who they perceive as being very stressful, not, not very uncommon. I actually have a client who has a friend like that, and she recently came to the conclusion, like, why do I even spend time with her? Uh, but uh, she said, well, we've been friends for a long time. I really love her, and uh, I just... Uh, so she, um, so uh, she um, can identify uh, when something is uncomfortable on a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So when instead of waiting for a big uh, explosion of feeling that leads to a very often outer explosion, an argument or some other confrontation, uh, people can start catching. Like, hmm, when I'm with this person, I'm starting to feel something in my stomach. It doesn't feel good. I'll need to pay attention to that. And uh, so I teach them how to recognize that feeling and what that feeling is trying to tell them. And uh, then you can monitor that reaction and then you can make decisions whether you want to uh, stay with that discomfort for other reasons and continue to interact with this person or you want to make some changes. So it doesn't really tell people what to do and I don't tell people what to do, but by becoming more aware, people can have a better handle on uh, how to handle different 
situations that are either somewhat stressful or very stressful. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think they, it's so beneficial for people to learn how to recognize those reactions on the on body and emotional level. Yeah, it really is. Sometimes you're feeling uncomfortable or bad and you don't realize why you are. And sometimes it's, it's not even, it's not even your feelings. You're just around someone that has that uh, stressful <laughs> feeling. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. And uh, actually that's another, you know, I remember uh, I'm a, I'm an empath. So I used to pick up other people's feelings and not know that. So I remember some years ago, I was in a pretty good mood. I was going to see a good friend of mine. But when I, uh, when we met, I all of a sudden, sudden started to feel down. And uh, I had, you know, luckily I stopped myself and said like, hmm, what's going on? I was feeling pretty good just a moment ago. Oh, I'm picking up on how she's feeling. She's feeling down. So I got out of that feeling and I was able to be there for her Mm -hmm. uh, rather than go down with her and we would both end up in a hole. And this way I was able to be a support for her because uh, I wasn't feeling down. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we pick up on people's feelings. So this is one of the things also, once you understand where you are and you have better boundaries, then you can differentiate. Am I picking up on someone's feeling or is it something that I'm feeling? Exactly. And all that's happening right now, I was thinking, you know, it's good to be empathetic to people and to be able to understand what they're going through, but not, like you said, not jump in the ditch with them. <laughs> Nobody's doing well then. Exactly. Like if you jump to the ditch with them, you need a third person to help you both yeah. get out. It's <laughs> That's right. Much more difficult. That's right. So um, let's talk about the brain and business. So how does all of this, this fit into you working with um, entrepreneurs? All right. So uh, yeah, that's my combined passion, brain and entrepreneurship. So uh, being an entrepreneur is stressful enough, right? Um, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you would agree. Uh, so the, one of the problems is that people have an idea they have a desire or a passion. That's a very uh, right brain thing. And there are other centers in the brain that govern emotions, which also do not respond to words and they don't have logic. So your emotional self uh, is just emotional. It's your passion, it's your vision, your desire to accomplish something. Uh, and that's, it's very good to start the process, but in order to continue the process, you have to have systems. You have to figure out the steps that you need to take. How are you going to translate your idea into a marketable product or service? And then once you figure that out, what are the steps that are going to take you to success? So I found that uh, people who have background in left brain disciplines, people who are in science, technology, finance, uh, and things like that are usually much more successful and much faster than people who don't have that background. Mm -hmm. So some of my uh, colleagues come from banking or technology or some other form of finance, and they are used to dealing with numbers. They are used to dealing with systems. This is how the left brain works. That's how they function. The problem mm -hmm. is when they teach that to people who are not in their left brains, 
they will have real hard time implementing those things, which I know from my own experience. Uh, so unless you get those uh, first brain hemispheres and then the other parts of your brain working together, it's going to be really hard to take the steps to become successful. And um, that's why I love um, working with entrepreneurs and especially women because women, uh, typically, statistically, women, even though women start more small businesses, but uh, they are statistically less successful and they make less money than men. So um, I love working with women partially because as a woman, I understand what they've gone through. Um, but I love working with men also, except separately because men have different issues. So a um, uh, number of years ago, I had a program uh, which became uh, Keys to Real Wealth, which was originally for women. And that mm -hmm. was uh, running quite well. And then uh, men started to ask, like, what about men? Shouldn't we work with that too? So it became mm -hmm. a co-ed program and it fizzled out. So uh, that was one of the experiences when I realized that I should have separate programs uh, because uh, when it comes to success in general and as success in business, men and women have somewhat different issues. So now... Uh, I have a program for women, but if men are interested, I'm going to have a separate program for men because I think they will work, each gender will work better in a separate environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, is it, um, do the women tend to be more right-brained or not necessarily? What a great question. Uh, people often ask me that. So I feel that uh, these studies are biased because brain is the recent research done within last at least 15 years shows that brains are shaped by experience so your brain is going to reflect a lot of things you know that a balance between na nature and nurture so of course nature plays a role but then how the culture is going to uh treat you will develop your brain differently and uh, so there are no innate differences. I know that um, when I was grow growing up in Poland, uh, there was no uh, bias in my environment about women in science. So most of my women friends actually are in science or technology. Mm -hmm. And most of my male friends are artists, performers <laughs> and writers. <laughs> so I know from experience that it's, it's a stereotype that's not really true. Hmm. And, um, uh, and, uh, but the culture, uh, the Western culture, uh, tends to shape people differently. And, uh, so women are, uh, there's just have been quite a few studies in the recent years documenting that, uh, women, uh, whether they are trained in that or not, they even non-verbally pick up stereotypes of you know the cinderella or the sleeping beauty and the you know the prince will come and then life will be perfect so uh boys don't have those kind of fantasies they are brought up in a completely different set of imaginary uh heroes so that shapes a lot of expectations and then women then because of that background and some a lot of other conditioning they are uh, trained to be more of caretakers where, while men are trained to be more uh, go-getters and uh, focused on success, uh, including 
societal values like a woman who is ambitious and successful is usually called names and uh, it's not a good image for a woman to be a go-getter it's getting better but uh for for a long time it was not so it, this was like one of those cultural differences that was shaping the brains so ultimately we all have the same structures everybody has right and left brain everybody has an emotional brain everybody has a behavioral brain they need to be developed but in a balanced way and then we will have more understanding between genders and less conflict or less miscommunication wow and then when it comes to the brain and money you work with people who make a lot of money some of them um how does that all go together so um uh, you know the brain really affects everything the brain uh, uh, whether something works in person's life or doesn't work it has to do with how the brain is organized so uh, there are people who don't have a problem uh, so actually let me backtrack a little bit so money is not a thing money is an abstract concept mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have a relationship with money based on whatever we grew up with or whatever money was in our environment mm -hmm. so um everything is a relationship uh, so whether it's time or money or uh objects it's all a relationship this is one of the things that are really not very very well appreciated this is part of my work with the emotional brain to help people be aware of that and know what to do about it so uh so that uh, has to do with money as well. So depending on what was the relationship with money in your environment when you were growing up, uh, it will shape your attitude and a relationship with money right now. For instance, in one of the uh, workshops, there was a man who said that he always thought his family was poor. And then when he, uh, grew up and he was like maybe in his 20s he discovered that they were running restaurants they were actually wealthy but uh they never talked about it and they uh they made him feel that they didn't have enough so he grew up thinking that there was not enough money he learned how to be very either frugal or rebel against that but that was the conditioning mm -hmm. i was just working with a woman client where that issue also came up uh uh, as far as attitude about being rich. Uh, she's not rich, but she has a significant salary. Uh, and compared to her background, she makes a lot of money, but she said that that was such a no-no in my culture. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to be successful because it will go into your head and besides someone will jinx you. So, um, so you're not supposed to talk about money. You're not supposed to talk about how much you're making. You're not supposed to be successful. So uh, I think that it's, again, different for men because if a male in her culture would have, been, would have had more permission to be successful, but as a woman, she didn't. So uh, we worked on that. And uh, she, uh, when the end of the process that we were working with, she accepted that it's okay, she doesn't have to hide that she actually is making a significant mm -hmm. salary. So uh, it's all a relationship and it is how we relate to money emotionally. So uh, I love, uh, because I, I had a terrible conditioning about money because when I was growing up, uh, mm -hmm. nobody had money. Uh, 
some uh, comedian defined communism as equal poverty for all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the party members. They were not, we were not in poverty, but my mother was a teacher, a single mother. So there was a lot of struggle. There was never enough money. Uh, and the whole communist philosophy was money was really bad and profit was evil. So I had to overcome all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I know what it feels like to have these uh, limitations and conditions and not be, will, not be able to accept money or not being able to charge. And I was able to overcome most of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love to help people, <laughs> especially women, uh, to overcome that as well. Because again, it's just a form of conditioning that uh, makes your brain work a certain way and process information in a certain way. And you can very quickly overcome that if you do these mind-body processes that I'm using. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I was just thinking, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about where you came from. So you came from Poland and then you went to London, which was not a communist country and neither was New York. So what was your first reaction when you got to, to London? Well, um, I was, um, it, it was a culture shock for sure. I didn't realize that because I thought we are all part of the European culture. Well, uh, there are huge differences. Um, so it, that, was, uh, that was a culture shock. And uh, uh, another like shock slight on a slightly different uh, scale was I knew how to speak English and I love theater, so I was so thrilled when I was able to uh, save some money and go to the theater for the first time. I don't remember what the play was, but I was like, I understand the words. I have no idea what they are talking about. <laughs> so language, as I realized, language is not words. Language is cultural context. So that was another shock because there are so many cultural references we refer to all the time without being aware of them. Like, uh, you know, like for instance here, you know, saying we are not in Kazos anymore. Like, unless you know where it came from, like I didn't know where that came from, I had to learn. Yeah. Uh, so every culture has those sets of references and it's really, you have to really pay attention and, and talk to people who are natives or, you know, native speakers to learn a lot of those references. Otherwise you are still like, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. So that was uh, one of the shocks. And I remember also on the subject of money, I was talking to a friend of mine who was uh, British and uh, he was talking about his friend who started a business and was uh, selling a particular product mm -hmm. with a 200% markup. And I was like, what? How can you do that? It's unethical. You know, it shouldn't be, <laughs> people should not be doing that. You know, so that was, you know, another cultural difference so uh, <laughs> something similar coming to 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 the u.s uh still you know a little less because i had time to work through some of those issues but i still had the same baggage and then coming to the u.s uh, the shock was that it's so completely different from europe um that i felt that every american should go to europe and every european should come to america to understand that they are completely different words worlds and actually, uh, in those early years, I felt there was a part of my mission would be to 
to bridge the cultural gaps between Poland and the US. So it turned out not to, it didn't happen and my mission shifted to other, other issues. But it was, I loved because my passion is to be a translator. Um, so I loved the, you know, even on individual scale, translating one culture to the other so people would understand certain concepts that uh, they, you know, they are, they are different in each culture. The assumptions, cultural assumptions are very different. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, you are in Manhattan, New York. That's right. Uh, and um, I would like for you to share with people, you, you mentioned some courses you're doing. Um, you have some different programs. Um, do they have to be in New York? <laughs> or, do you, you know, how do they work with you or find out about you or, or what programs you have or what, what do you have coming up? Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for asking about that. So um, for many years, my practice was essentially in person because it involves a lot of personal and sometimes physical interaction. But over the last few years, I've been starting to develop a, uh, a way to work with people individually or in groups long distance, I have clients in different parts of the country and even in different countries. Mm -hmm. So I shifted a lot of my individual sessions shifted to being online. And um, so it's just as effective. I, uh, I was, I'm able to explain to people what they need to do to achieve a, this particular uh, level of integration and they do it and it works. So they achieve their goals, just like people who work with me in person or used to work with me, uh, which they don't do right now. And um, the same thing for, um, I experimented with group programs online and that worked as well. I was able to teach people what they should be doing and they were doing that and they got results. So I got very excited about that. Now I'm shifting more of my content to online. So, um, I have a, uh, I'm relaunching a program that um, this program I mentioned earlier, the Keys to Real Wealth, uh, became an online program uh, a couple of years ago, and I haven't really promoted it, but I'm going to relaunch it as, um, a, as a program for women entrepreneurs to become six-figure earners. Nice. So that's going to launch... Uh, sometime in June. And in the meantime, uh, what's going to lead up to that is uh, I have a, a new Facebook group called uh, Female Entrepreneurs Breaking Six Figures. And uh, I would love for women to join that group. And it's a safe place. Actually, the subtitle of that group is Bridging Spiritual and Practical. Uh, so uh, like I said in the beginning, it's not enough to uh, be spiritual and have affirmations and feel that you are guided by spirit, but you also need to know what you're doing. A lot of women know what they are doing, but there are still like a lot of choices. People are often lost about what should I be doing. So that group is a safe forum uh, of safe place for women to explore together with other women entrepreneurs, ask questions, get feedback either from me or from other group members. And I would love to grow that group to be a real resource for women who are on that path. So um, I'm going to be growing this group right now for the next uh, month or two. And I'm going to do a, what is called a challenge, which is like a mini course 
that will have to do with that topic. That's going to be sometime in uh, mid-June. And then after that, I'm going to relaunch this program uh, for women entrepreneurs uh, breaking six figures, which is going to be an online program, uh, some on video and some with individual coaching. I'm very excited about that. Um, and uh, something that's very topical for right now, which is available as of uh, next week, pretty much, I decided because people are so stressed out and so many people are in fear, I, I thought I will make more resources available because there are better ways of dealing with stress and fear uh, based on organizing your brain. Uh, and so I'm launching this uh, new program called Free From Fear Now. And uh, that's going to be available as of next week. Oh, I'm sorry, my computer is doing something unpleasant. Um, so um, if, if anybody's interested, I would like you to get in touch with me uh, by uh, either finding me on Facebook with Paula with Brain Upgrade or emailing me directly at Paula at brainupgrade.biz. Mm -hmm. And I'll be happy to tell anybody who get in touch with me uh, more about that. And I also want to offer a, um, if, uh, like a, a reward for being on the program and uh, listening to us. So something, an idea I stole from one of my clients. She does personalized videos for, uh, for her clients with certain messages. And uh, it's a short video, so they can easily listen to that in a few minutes. And I decided that would be a great idea for me to do that as well. So instead of sending people a document, which they can, they, they, I, I'll be happy to send them a handout about uh, how they can uh, in, increase the productivity and overcome procrastination. Uh, but uh, I thought I will be happy to send them personalized short videos with uh, a little bit of explanation about the brain and the one or two brain tips or brain hacks they will be able to do in minutes to get themselves going through, throughout the day. So I'm very excited about that because I haven't done that before, but I think it's an <laughs> idea that uh, maybe people find very useful at this point. Yes, it's a wonderful gift and it's really needed right now. So thank you so much for offering that and giving that. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah. yeah I'd be very excited to, um, to, to, to talk to whoever requested and find out what they need and do a, you know, target the video to them. And it's going to be very short, so it's uh, easily consumable in three minutes and learn something, do something, feel better. That's perfect. Three minutes is perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so what for, for you makes your life incredible? What makes it worth living fulfilling? So many things. Um, so uh, first of all, pursuing my passion. Um, I think the, the worst job that I ever had, I never had actually a real job, uh, never worked in any mainstream capacity, except once for a month, I was a assistant secretary in a medical office. It was the worst job I've ever had. I hate working with papers. <laughs> um, it's not my thing. Um, so, uh, so if I, if, I were, if I was doing something like that, I would be miserable. But uh, I've pursued my passions and I always did what 
I was excited about. So the things that I'm excited about, I'm still excited about, and I'm so happy that I do them. I get to interact with people on a very deep level. I get to see them transformed from my eyes. It's extremely rewarding, and um, I, I love it. The fact that I have these techniques that are such a shortcut and make lives uh, so much easier for people, I'm excited about that too. And uh, in addition to that, I love, I'm not a uh, like big nature person. I wouldn't want to live in a country or live in a rural environment, but I love going to the park and we have uh, beautiful blooming trees right now. So uh, one of the things that makes my life worth living, I look at these beautiful blooms and colors and the aroma and that is so enriching. So I love that. And every, every chance I have, I, I go for a walk and uh, enjoy those blooming trees and beautiful, colorful flowers. And even when the flowers go away, there's this incredible greenery. So I love that. And that makes, makes me feel enriched every day. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing all your wisdom and your experiences and stories and talk about resilience. <laughs> We're just going to call you resilient. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I realized that, you know, going through all these experiences and bouncing back. So I am pretty resilient. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's wonderful to get to know you a little bit also uh, and to discover that we have some things in common from your profession and, and my profession. Uh, and uh, I look forward to staying connected. And also thank you to our listeners and viewers. And uh, hopefully I get to talk to them as well. Yes. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Yes. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Bye for now. Bye-bye.